Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Today, I want to dive right back into where we've been with the voice. You can throw up that that leading slide. This is going to be our last week, thankfully. Uh, For many of you, they're like, oh my goodness, are we still, what are we even talking about? The voice, all I hear is your voice. And so we're going to, we're going to wrap it up today and we're going to land this plane. Um, If I learned anything from James, it was just stretch it out, you know, just keep on going, keep keep that sermon going. And it's so funny because I had one idea when I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about this. And I think we got to that first idea like week three. So as I started preparing and studying, I was like, oh man, I've got like two weeks of material before I even get to my, my main point here. And so I, the Lord's, I think, given me some things, um, and we're going to, like I said, land that today. But as we were starting the sermon, the first week, we did kind of hit the uh, passage in John 10, where it talks about how we hear our shepherd's voice, and that his sheep know it, they recognize it, they don't recognize another. Matter of fact, the scripture in John 10 says, they run from it. They run from it. What an interesting dynamic to think about when we hear a voice other than our true shepherds that we would run from it. And that's another sermon for another day that we could maybe pull out this slide again and have a a week six, right? No, just kidding. And, uh, but, but we're going to really build on something. So John 10 was the, was the real passage that I had. And then I felt like the Lord had spoken to me about Elijah. And we hit that about two weeks ago. Talked about how Elijah didn't hear just God's voice in the, the supernatural, loud, kaboom experiences with the Lord. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the earthquake, right? And it wasn't in the fire, but it was in that sound of the gentle whisper. And so I, I spoke a little bit about that as well, because those were the two things that the Lord I knew distinctively had, had given to me, had put in my heart. And there was a third thing that kind of came along about three weeks ago, and I didn't understand how it fit until this week. And it was just the name Obadiah. I woke up one morning and literally all I could think about was Obadiah. And if you wake up thinking about Obadiah, that's just weird. And so the Lord's probably speaking to you because that's not the first thing my mind usually goes to either. And so as the Lord began to unpack this, I felt like this this is for us today. So I want you to catch something that I think the Lord has been leading us through and we're going to encapsulate it today. But I want to talk about a little bit of a story that is written in a book called Hidden Wilderness. Hidden, Hidden Wilderness, it's written by Parker Palmer, and it relates a story about farmers in the Midwest, Josh. And it relates the story as they prepare for blizzards and how they do that. And it talks about how they would tie a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn to help guide them and ensure that they would return safely during blizzards. Because when the blizzards would come quickly and fiercely, they were highly, highly dangerous in the Midwest and still are. But when the full force of the wind is blowing and a farmer could hardly even see to the end of his hand in those wide out blizzards, there was many that would even freeze to death, disoriented by their ability to see. And they wondered as they would even go in circles, not realizing that they were even just lost in their own backyard and sometimes even froze to death literally feet from their own back door. And I want to talk about that. Even meteorologists today talk about how uh, they encourage folks in Canada and in the Great Plains. They tell them, they say, hey, to avoid getting lost and in those blinding snows, tie a rope to the back of your house and grasp one end firmly. This is still something that is practiced. This is still something that is done uh, in those conditions. 
And I want to talk to us, though, today about some of the spiritual ropes that we can tie to root us down and to help us through some of the blizzards of life that we face. And I really, I sense a lot of the noise that, that all of you guys do. I sense a lot of the, just the distractions of daily life. David was sharing with me as he came in. He's like, man, I, I was so excited. It's church it's Sunday and we're heading here, but kids. And I'm like, by the time I get here and, and I'm like, I totally get it. Why do you think I drove separate? Why do you think? <laughs> it's not why I drove separate. She's got a meeting after church, but I, I get that, right? We have a lot of other demands in life, and we've got a lot of other things that we put on ourselves, good and bad. And we have a, just a lot of noise and distractions. And I want to help us today tie some ropes to the back door of the Lord's house to help us find our way back to His peace and His presence today. You guys up for the journey with me? Amen. All right, it's going to be good. So I want to ask us a question. How many of you would agree that we fill our lives with so many extras that it can make it difficult to just slow down. We have so many things that are just on our calendar that we make life's demands and and it just makes it so difficult to just catch our breath and pause and truly slow down. And I think that this is, and I mentioned it last week um, or two weeks ago when I spoke last, that this is probably one of the greatest tactics of the enemy in our day in 2019 is busyness. Just simply busyness. He will allow us to feel like we're more, I mean, to me, it feeds my uh, needs of, of feeling accomplished. It feeds all these things of feeling like I'm efficient. I'm getting the job done. But then next thing I realize is I am so distracted from what is actually important. And I have very little bandwidth for anything extra and certainly not for anything to go wrong. Right. And so I think this is really a, a setup for us, a setup for us for our spiritual spirals that the Lord never intended us to experience for emotional distraught and just depletion that the Lord doesn't want us to find ourselves in. And so I'm hoping that today some of these ropes that I can give us will, will help us to quiet ourselves, to still ourselves, to maybe even create a little extra bandwidth in our calendar and say, Lord, I want to be refocused on you. Jim Gall. Have you ever heard of Jim Gall? He's a great prophetic teacher in our day, and I, I love some of his resources, but he says this. He says, learning to be quiet before the Lord is one of the greatest challenges we face today in our quest to enter in and experience true intimacy with Him. You know, in my quest to find true intimacy with the Lord, when I am just having some time with the Lord, truth be told, how many things run through my mind before I finally land in His presence? And I've had to get in a habit where I'm just, I've got like a scratch pad of paper. All right, I'm tabling that. I'm just going to write it down. I'm not going to let it preoccupy my mind. Yes, I do have to do that later. Yes, yes, I do need to make the grocery list, but it can wait. There's all those things that end up kind of filling our mind just because we're humans. And I think that we have to find a rhythm and a way to be able to table some of those things so that we can encounter the Lord and the grace that he wants to give us. So Elijah, after his power encounter with Ahab and the false prophets, he found himself on the run. And he listened to fear and even depression settled in. And he was physically on a mountain. But I believe internally he was at one of his lowest points of his life. And I want us to look together at 1 Kings 19 again. Just to kickstart what I've mentioned already. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12. I'm going to read it briefly. What I just stated. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to 
pass by. And I mentioned before that this only happens in two, two situations in Scripture with Moses. In Exodus 33, we can read about that. And then here with Elijah, that the Lord would pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the winds. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, a gentle whisper. In the New Revised translation, if you can put that up, can you put up the New Revised? It's, it's one of my second slides. It says this on verse 12. You may have to skip to the last one. It, it actually translates a gentle whisper to this, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. This is actually a better translation of the Hebrew original. The sa- a sound of sheer silence. Now, <laughs> there's two different schools of thought on the sound of sheer silence here. There is a psychological school of thought, and then there is a physics school of thought on this. Physics would say there's, there's no sound in silence. Psychologically, we do hear a noise, almost a hum, a buzz within silence itself. And here, I believe that the, there was such a silence that had happened that the, there was not enough Hebrew words that the, the author here could even pair together to put it into perspective that this is where the Lord came, not in the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but literally this, this sound of silence. And in that moment, that was the voice of the Lord to Elijah. And I think that oftentimes, when you think about the sound, the sound of silence, I don't know how, uh, how up you are on your songs. Will you hit that next slide for me? Have, have you heard this song before? I think you might have. If you'll hit that next slide for me and, and turn up the volume, it would be on the MP3. You got it? You know what song this is, isn't it? Let's see if you can guess the the writer, the author. We'll see, this may date you. See if you know it. Some of you are like, uh, Michael, I got stoned to this song. <laughs> this was my BC days now. Listen to a couple more lines. Within the Sounds. It's the title of the song. All right, that's it. Anybody know who wrote it? Who, who's singing that? All right, we got some music people in the, in the audience. My wife would appreciate that. I wouldn't have been able to tell you, except that I looked it up. And uh, yeah, it, it would have taken me a little bit. I'm not the music buff that she is. But Simon and Garfunkel, right? They even write the song back in, back in the days of, of uh, that movement of the sound of silence, right? Very hippie-esque in, in sound. And so my, I'm sure my parents love that. But what, what in the world is the sound of silence? And is there even such a thing? Why would anyone even want to hear it? But I want to really stress today that this morning, I want us to take a step back and see some things that Elijah failed to recognize and receive in his own life that caused him to find himself in this difficult moment. Now, remember, Elijah's on the run. Jezebel has threatened him, has threatened his very life, and he is slumping into depression, but the Lord is not finished with him. He has one more task to do, and that's to anoint his predecessor. 
And so uh, while Elijah has, u- has been used by God in mighty, mighty ways, I believe that he missed his opportunity for comfort along the way. And I specifically want us to look at Obadiah in Elijah's life. And this is where I believe the Lord was trying to take me a few weeks ago, and I didn't get it. And so I studied a 21-verse, smallest book of the Bible for a really long time. And then I finally realized it was in the, in the story with Elijah. And I was like, I'm not getting anything about the prophet Obadiah going to the Edomites. I don't get it. And so finally, I realized this is what the Lord's wanting us to hear today. So would you travel with me to 1 Kings 18? We're going to go back one chapter to the beginning of that chapter. We're going to look starting at verse 2 through 4. 1 Kings 18, 2 through 4. Who was Obadiah in the life of Elijah? Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Now remind you, this is why the rain is going to be important and why Elijah can call for that cloud and finally it comes the size of a man's hand. There's been a famine in the land. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah. Here's Obadiah, his palace administrator. And there's different views on, is this the same as the prophet Obadiah? Maybe Probably not. But here's Obadiah in the, in the house of, of Ahab as an administrator, a pretty high official. But Obadiah, he, it tells us in the scripture, was a devout believer in the Lord. So while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, which Elijah is so quick to remind us, look what she's doing, I'm the only one left. There's, is there no one else? But yet while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, what was Obadiah doing? He had taken hundred prophets, and he had hidden them in two caves. He had split them up, 50 over here, 50 over here. And he had supplied them with food and with water. Obadiah literally means this, and this is what I want us to to catch, is what Obadiah was intended to be in the life of an Elijah. He, his name literally just means servant of the Lord. Obadiah just simply means that in, in Hebrew, servant of the Lord. And I believe in the life of the believer today, the Obadiah can, can act as the Holy Spirit in our life, as a helper, uh, as the servant that the Lord has sent to us to help us, to teach us. And I believe the Lord will even use people in our lives to come alongside us and to serve us and to give us encouragement if we'll hear it. But here is Obadiah found in a pretty, uh, in, a, in a time period where the king is wicked. Ahab is not serving the Lord. His, his wife is far off from that place. And Obadiah is yet continuing to be a devout follower of the Lord and is even protecting those who hear his voice during this crucial time. I think of an Obadiah being someone that is protecting what God is saying today. How he is, he is advocating for the Spirit still speaking to us as believers and, and encouraging you as you're hearing his voice. Obadiah is the one that is helping you realize that, that yes, God as it is at work around and in your life, even when you don't see it. And Elijah had a hard time recognizing what Obadiah had done. Obadiah shares this with, with him. But Elijah just like scoots right on by. There's an interaction with, with Elijah and Obadiah, and it goes like this. Obadiah pretty much comes to him and says, hey, I've been, I've preserved some, some prophets. You think you're the only one, but I've got a hundred that I've saved and I've got 50 over here and 50 over here and I've been taking care of them. I've got the resources from even this wicked king to preserve them. And Elijah just totally misses it and gets focused on what his task is. I need you to go get Ahab. I need you to call him to this place. I need him to bring all the false prophets. We're about to have a showdown. So that interaction, that exchange happens And it literally has no opportunity to sink into Elijah's soul. 
And we know that, we recognize that because Elijah, uh, the next chapter when Jezebel is, on, is chasing him and threatening his life, even if only verbally, even if she would have never followed through, it ignites enough fear in Elijah that he thinks he's alone, that there is no one else out there forgetting what Obadiah has done in preserving the prophet. He thinks that he is the only one left. And I think sometimes we allow the enemy to really get us on the run, to allow fear to settle into our lives and take up residency and tell us about all the things that are not going to work out the way that God wants them to work out. Anybody else with me there on how the enemy will operate in my life and yours? And I believe that as we allow that fear, that Jezebel fear into our lives, that then we find the slippery slopes of depression and wallowing and staying there in our, in our pity party, even to the point of, of suicidal tendencies. And that's where Elijah found himself, right on the hills of a mighty move of God in his life. But I want, I want to encourage you to recognize Obadiah today. Where is the Lord serving you? It may be through a physical person. It may be you in his presence. It may be somewhere there's a rope that I want to help us tie back to the house of the Lord through him, that he is serving us through Obadiah, the spirit of Obadiah in our life. And Obadiah did this. I see him as three different things. I see Obadiah as a protector. I see Obadiah protecting those who would hear God's voice. He, is, he has taken them. He has extracted them from where their life is on the line, where Jezebel's ready to kill them. And yet he hides them, risking his own life as a protector. And the second thing I see him is, is a sustainer. He comes along and he not only hides them away and says, I hope you can find some food. Maybe you can look under the rocks in this cave and eat something, whatever you can get. No, he, he ensures that they are not only protected, but they are sustained, that they are receiving food even throughout this famine because the Lord has given him resources even in a wicked house. And then I think about how Obadiah also acted as that stage setter. He set up the stage for that public display of God's power and reign. But Elijah failed to recognize that Obadiah even existed in his day. He heard what God had done, but he was so focused on his own task at hand that he didn't take encouragement in knowing that Obadiah was there to encourage him. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I get so focused on what I'm doing in the moment or what is going on, my problems, my issues, what I, the report I just heard about a family member's health or this wayward child or whatever may be happening. I get so focused on those things that I will miss where the Lord is trying to bring encouragement into my life. I'll miss what Obadiah has just said to me because my focus is anywhere but there. And I think the Lord is wanting to shift a little bit of that where we can hear His voice, the voice. We can hear God's voice through the Obadiahs that He's placed in our life. That He is a protector. He is a sustainer. And He is setting things all in motion towards what He has called us to. What if the Lord has surrounded us with Obadiahs and we're just not hearing them? What if they're all around us and yet we're so focused on what we've got going on? And I want to help us today because I think that the Lord is sustaining those in our, in our lives that are hearing His voice for us. And I believe that there is something that can be greater than ourselves. And I want to switch gears here for a minute because as I believe that the Lord has put Obadiahs in our life, I believe that also sometimes we have a hard time slowing down to recognize them. And so I want to put, give us some tools that I think will help us slow down. 
a book that I'm reading right now that we're actually going to go into in the fall. It's going to be really, I'm super excited about what we're going into in the fall and the winter. How many of you guys came on Wednesday nights for our temperament series and just really, really enjoyed it? If you enjoyed that, you're going to love what we're going to be doing in the fall and going into the winter. We're going to be doing a series um, called uh, Emotional uh, Healthy Spirituality. And we're going to apply it to us as individuals in the fall, and we're going to apply it to relationships in the winter. It's going to be really, really powerful. But the author of that material, Scazzaro, Pete Scazzaro, he's a pastor in Queens, New York. He says this, he says, We go through the motions of doing so many things as if there is no alternative way of spending our days. It's like being addicted, only it's not to drugs or alcohol, but instead to task, to work, to doing any sense of rhythm in our daily, weekly, and yearly lives, it's been swallowed up in the blizzard of our lives. He uses that same terminology there. That was kind of neat. And so he talks about this, that we have so many things that we're swallowed up by in this life, but li- literally it's like being addicted to what we're doing, the task at hand, we've got to do that, we got to do that. And we miss the rhythm of God's grace in it all. And I know a couple of weeks ago where I talked about this, and, and, and I believe that sometimes we can make the choice to set new cycles in motion. While we can't change the seasons we go through, we can make choices to create new cycles and set them into motion. That I do believe. We have the ability to come alongside with the Lord and say, God, I want to put these into motion. And with effort, right, with working out our salvation, with fear and trembling, we can begin to set new things into motion. And that takes time. And I think about some of the things that we can implement, and that's what I want to share with with us today. I want to kind of paint a backdrop of it with Philippians 2, if you'll throw that up on the screen. Philippians 2, I love this passage about some of the ways that it talks about how we can slow ourselves down like the Lord did. And this passage in my scripture, it's entitled, Imitating Christ's Humility. And in verse 1, it starts out, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love... If any common sharing in the joy of the Spirit, as some translations give it, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So all of that is kind of a preamble for how he's going to encapsulate how the Lord did this. And he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindsets as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something, as some translations would say, something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That phrase right there, made himself nothing. To me, that's almost like the sound of sheer silence. How do you make nothing? (laughs) How do you do that? Literally, the best translation would be, he emptied himself. He put in effort. He made himself empty. He poured himself out. He put in the effort. Literally, the word still there is he made, but then it attaches to it the next Greek word of empty. He made himself empty. He emptied himself. And I think a lot of times in our ability to slow down and to hear the the voice of the Lord in our relationships, as Paul is writing to the Philippians, saying, hey, prefer others. But before you can do that, remember what Christ did as our model and example. He 
emptied himself. And I think a lot of times I want to replace things in my life before I just empty. I want to take something that has been bad, and this is still, I think, a healthy way of doing things. I want to take a negative thought, and I want to replace it with a good one. I want to take a, a, an, an unhealthy way of, of relating to my kids, reacting, and I want to replace it with, with a healthy response, and, and one that is more teaching and training versus responding over a situation. And so I think about how that's, that's a dynamic, but here, Jesus is saying, first, I just emptied myself. And I think there is a lot of, um, there's a lot to be said here about the, the idea of emptying. And in Western thought, this almost seems a little new agey to us. And I think when we start to talk about this, we think, uh, are you going to get into mindfulness, Michael? Are you going to start talking about, are we going to just try to empty ourselves and focus on our breathing? Yeah, maybe. Maybe that would help you empty yourself. And I think we have attached so many negative connotations to what it means to empty ourselves that we think, no, I've just got to fill it back up with something else. Remember, we love the busyness. We love the noise. We are addicted to it. And I think sometimes we just need the sound of sheer silence, even in our soul. And we need to empty ourselves before the Lord, not before the Ouija board or whatever else is out there, right? We don't need to empty ourselves before false things but before the Lord in His presence. God, just help me just drain the stuff of today. As Peter needed not to be washed head to toe, but just His feet. The things that we've come in contact with today, sometimes we just need to empty ourselves. I teach my kids this. When I'm putting them to bed, we pray together, we talk about some things from the day, and we teach them what it means to just, let's just emotionally, let's just let go of some stuff that have happened today. Let's just let go of some, some conversations that we've even had. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's, let's apologize if we need to. But let's empty ourselves. Let's not allow that to carry on. And we empty ourselves before the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to take that first step in emptying yourselves. And I think one of the reasons, not only with New Age, but we hear about the scripture in Matthew 12, where it talks about how if the house were swept clean and yet it wasn't filled, that even worse impure spirits, more demons will come back. And I think that we attach that theology to the, our ability to empty ourselves. We think, no, we can't be empty because if we don't fill it with God real quick, something bad's going to happen. And, and maybe in exorcism, maybe in, in, in driving out demons, that may be true. But what I'm talking about today is the things of this world, the things of this life that we hold on to, like selfish ambition, like our ways over God's ways, like pride in issues that are keeping us from preferring others above ourselves and even God over our own agendas. And so I think that, that we can see that in these steps that I'm about to give you, I'm going to give you four quick steps and then I'm going to wrap up. Because I believe that after that he has called us uh, to be filled with his love, his joy, his perfect peace, and we can watch the residue of heaven cause that old life to not be able to invade that space within us any longer. I believe that he is able, as we empty ourselves before him, to fill us with himself and allow the residue of heaven to be the only thing that exists and cause the old ways of our old life to not be able to invade that space again. So there's four things I want to give us today real quick on some ropes to tie back home. The first one is stopping. Everybody say stopping. That's right. Not stop, drop, and roll. That would be a first step in other things. If you're, in a, if you're on fire, you need to do that. You need to stop, drop, and roll. Okay, David? If you are on fire. 
And hopefully my preaching will get on fire today. But today we're talking about stopping, literally just taking moments to pause. And I, I, I teased in my last message about Tara. I don't even know if she was in here. But I talked about how when we were in Brooklyn, she had more alarms than I knew were possible on an iPhone. She had an alarm to wake up every single person that lives in her house so that they could get to work on time. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are these adults? They are, aren't they? They're all over the age of 18. I gave her, <laughs> I got an amen. That's awesome. But the thing was, is that I realized that she had a way to hit stop in her life and divert herself to do something else. And she'd created these habits. She had other alarms that went off all throughout the day to pray for individuals and friends and I was like, oh my goodness, how do you even remember what you're supposed to do? Because it told me right here. Her little alarm would go off. And the, her roommate thought the fire alarm was going off one morning. Because they go off at like 5.30 in the morning to wake up someone to go to work. And her, um, Carolyn, who works with us at Kiko, was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is the, ha- is the building on fire? Like literally woke up in a panic. And she was like, no, no, it's just one of my many alarms. My many alarms. So what I realized is that we have ways, we have mechanisms that maybe tie us down to being busy, but now we could also use those same devices to help us slow down and stop. And what I'm going to recommend is that maybe that's what you and I need to do. Maybe we need to create a couple extra alarms in there throughout the day to just hit pause. Yes, I've got to finish this task, but before I do, God, I'm just going to stop and just think about your goodness. Wow, you're so faithful. I'm just, I've got a verse that I'm looking at all day today. And so each moment that I stop at the 12 o'clock hour, at the 2 o'clock hour, at the 6, whatever it is, whatever regularity you decide to do, what if we did this for 21 days? And we said, Lord, I'm going to just, I'm going to hit stop in my life so many days. And I'm going to refocus myself on you and your goodness and what you're saying to me. I'm going to make my ears attentive to emptying and hearing. How powerful would that be? Philippians 3.15 says this in the message translation. It says, so let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, I think that's us in this room. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. I think right here, I think Paul is encouraging himself to not lose sight of the prize. And I love just how the message translation makes that so relevant and real to us. And so as we stop, that's the first one, we uh, stopping, then we can center ourselves on the Lord. We can really focus ourselves back on Him and make Him the center of our soul and the center of our universe. So let's look at Psalm 37, 7. It says this, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. How many of you know that verse right there is just countercultural to 2019 in America, in the hustle and bustle, and we just live in the South, right? We just live in Knoxville. <laughs> I was talking to a guy the other day, a pastor who just moved here from California, felt like the Lord had transplanted him here. He's like, oh, I just love so much how things, there's such a slower pace of life in, in East Tennessee. And I'm like, I hope you find that. I hope you find a slower pace of life. I really do. Because I don't feel like my life has that pace at all. And and sometimes, though, that's what the Lord's wanting us to do. Because it doesn't matter where we live, we can create hustle and bustle. We can create internal busyness, even if externally there's not a lot going on. We can just create that. And I think the Lord is saying to us here, stop, center yourself, be still, Before me and wait patiently for him. 
And in Psalm 46.10, we've heard this many times. He says, be still and know that I am what? That I am God. It's that song that we sing sometimes. Take a moment and remember. Remember who God is and who you are. Let's put it back into perspective. Take a moment and remember who God is and who I am. Lord, you're the one who's created heaven and earth. Help me to remember that. Help me, Lord. I just want to exalt you in this moment. And I think it's, it's during this quietness, this stillness, this waiting before the Lord that we will move into God's presence and we will find His rest. His rest for our soul, His rest for all the things going on in our lives that keep us so preoccupied with everything but Him. And it will help us as we think about emptying our mind and to focus all our, our attentions upon Him. It will free us of those distractions. And I do, I want to encourage you, if you'll do this with me, if you will agree to say, hey, Michael, I'm going to try some of this. Would you, I, I hope you'll accept this challenge. Pay attention to your position, your posture even. I know now this is really sounding crazy in Eastern, right? Oh no, the pastor said, listen to your breathing and how you're, you're focused and your posture. But seriously, our posture has a lot to do with our, abil- our ability just to relax and to center our attention on Him. It's not, it's not just a transcendental uh, whacked out thing. It, it is literally the way God has designed us. All right, There are just other religions that have recognized that as well. And I believe that as we pay attention to our posture and we sit still, we find maybe, maybe even as if your eyes are open, just find something to look at, focus on it, and allow the Lord to just speak to you. And in the stopping and in the centering upon Him, we're doing these things before the Lord. We find silence and solitude. The third thing, silence. And I think silence and solitude, these are thought to be two of the most difficult Christian disciplines in our day. Silence and solitude. And you heard me geeking out a little bit as I was kind of studying the other day. I was thinking about how I was going to take a couple of the staff up to a monastery. Uh, and so I started looking up a few. And I'll be honest, like this is a difficult practice. We almost have to leave town, go somewhere else. You know what I mean. Like you, you do a staycation, but you know if you really stay around the house, you're going to end up doing all kinds of projects, aren't you, Chad? You're going to finish in the deck that Kelly's been hounding you about. I don't even know if that's true, but it probably is because I'm married too. And so there's all, he said, yeah, oh no, I just caused more problems. I just caused more, that's internal. I, I also uh, resemble that remark. But we, we find ourselves in our stopping and in our centering and trying to find silence filled with everything else. And sometimes we have to remove ourselves. I remember doing an actual, I, I dedicated an eight hour work day to just silence and solitude. I took a, <laughs> Kelly's face is like, that's a terrible idea. Why would you do that? I dedicated a day and I took my Bible and a journal and I know exactly where I sat at Holston River Park on a bench by the river with my bug spray. Apparently that was what I needed most. The Bible was good, but the bug spray was great. And, and I just sat there and I listened for the Lord. It was so hard at first to just quiet myself. Oh, so much is just... But we don't take time often enough to find the rhythm that He wants us in. Instead, we create the rat race cycle for ourselves. And I want to tell you the enemy is using that more than we realize. He is using that way more than we realize. And we trump it up to a lot of other positives, but I'm telling you, it has more negative impact on us than we think. The Lord wants us to be still and know that He's in control. Our efforts will be magnified 
when we've had an opportunity to be before Him and we've magnified Him first. Amen? I hope you're getting this. Henry Nouwen, he's a great spiritual author. He writes this. He said, Without solitude, it is almost impossible to live a spiritual life. That's a tough one because I I have a hard time finding solitude. But I recognize that until I can get myself away and hear from the Lord, I'm trying to pick up what he's saying in nuggets in all my busyness. And that becomes really, really difficult. That, That woven cord of him speaking to me is very frail and fragile because it is strengthened when I'm hearing directly from him and focused completely on his voice and his voice only. And I'll be honest, most of my life is hectic. Most of my life is the circus and I'm juggling and I'm just trying to keep, I'm just trying to keep kids fed and somewhat clean and uh, all my, you know, jobs in order. And there's a lot on my plate, just like there's a lot on yours. And I'm trying to hear the Lord in the busyness of all that. And I'm trying to just grab it some spiritual straws and put it all together. But I think the Lord wants to strengthen that in us. If we'll just take a moment and build into our schedule, build into ourselves a time of stopping, a Selah moment, hit pause on everything, focus on Him, quiet ourselves, and then the fourth thing. We said stopping, centering, silence, and now I want to add to it Scripture because now we can hear His Word clearly and we can hear it with illumination. It can become revelation to us because all the other distractions, because I think what we do is we get up in the morning, we hit snooze or whatever, and if you get up and you have a devotional time, we call it a quiet time sometimes, but it's just one more thing inserted into our busyness and our heckiness. And sometimes we, we don't even get to it because it, it's just a task. It's a, it's a box for us to check. But I'm telling you, if we throughout the day would just have one verse that we say, Lord, I believe you're speaking to me in this. I'm going to stop and center myself on what you're saying to me right now. I'm, I'm wanting to hear from you. And I would encourage you that if we even practice these things in this order, then the Scripture is going to become revelation. It's not going to become the box that we've checked. It's not going to become, hey, I'm, I'm going to make it through this in so many days, which I'm all about. I do those too. I do the read the Bible in so many days. I do the New Testament in this many. I, I'm, I love those. Those help me. Discipline is good for me. keeps me on the straight and narrow. I need that stuff. And I know that about myself. But I want to encourage us to slow down and allow it to speak to us even more. Allow us to hear from it because God's trying to say something to us as we will quiet ourselves and see that He is God. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know where to start, start in some Psalms. I would encourage you, if it's not the Psalms, I love the the pastoral letters that Paul writes where he's writing a prayer to the Ephesians, to the, the church in Thessalonica. Just find, look up Paul's prayers and start meditating on those because that's, his, that's still a prayer for us today. And let that build into your rhythm of what God is saying to us and how we can pray, how we can quiet ourselves and recenter ourselves. And if you end up doing the Psalms, I'm going to let a little, I believe the Lord's going to take us into a series of some Psalms in July and maybe even into August where we're just going to finish up the summer in the Psalms. And I'm so excited about it because I think there are so many different things that the Lord says to us through Psalms that oftentimes we don't hear, hear enough. So let's, let's stop, let's center, let's become, take some time to be silent and, and, and bring the scripture alive as we do all these things together. And I want to end with this. The essence of being in God's image is our ability, like God, to stop. 
We imitate God by stopping our work and resting. If we can stop for one day a week or even for many Sabbaths each day, we touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brains, our bodies, our spirits, and our emotions become wired by God for the rhythm of work and rest in Him. Pete Scazzaro writes that again. And I believe that these aren't just Ten Commandments that were given to us, but it was literally the order of creation that God showed us from the beginning. That He would work, He would see that it was good, but that He would rest. We've got to build in rest into our daily routines, into our weeks. And I get it, folks. My calendar's just like yours. But let's add this to the rhythm of our lives because right now we're in this other cycle and we can create some new ones. We can create some that will bring us peace, that will allow us to experience His love and joy in new ways. Amen? Would you bow with me? Father, I believe that You are speaking to us, that You are going to allow us to find Your rest. And I find it such a paradox, God, that You would say to us, make every effort to enter into Your rest. But God, that's what You're asking of us. Would we make this a priority? Would we make this important to find rest in you? And God, I know right now that so many things in our life right now that we're dealing with are ramifications of not finding our seasons of rest in you well. So God, help us. Help us to see the importance. Help us to see our limitations. Help us to see that we can come back to you and trust you again and renew that on a daily basis and find your rest. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you are with us. Amen. Amen.